Blog Talk Radio. from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism is the philosophy that uniquely upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and I'm glad to see a number of my usual listeners joining me here in the chat room over at Blog Talk Radio. I see Fiona, Freedom Breeze, Robert, Ed, whom I'm hoping will call up pretty soon to give us our exclusive report that I've been waiting for. Um, Let's see who else we have. We have some people that are kind of just lurking around. Welcome to all of you on this 14th anniversary of 9-11. Because of the news about Kim Davis this week, I had been inspired to have this show focus on the misuse of this amorphous concept, religious liberty. But it happens to tie in as well with 9-11 because really what we're talking about with Kim Davis in particular is the use of this so-called concept of religious liberty to interfere with the liberty of others. I mean, what after all is liberty? Liberty, if it's going to mean anything, is the freedom to act according to your own judgment. And what Kim Davis purports to be doing in the name of religious liberty is prevent homosexual couples, we're talking about mature consenting adults, they are supposed to be interfered with and not allowed to act according to their own judgment and declare you know, a monogamous committed relationship to each other in the eyes of government and everyone else. Uh, why? Because of her liberty. Now, what I say, of course, is that if you are purporting to exercise your rights and thereby infringing other people's rights, that that is no right at all. Um, so along these lines, I started looking at some of the excellent material that Ankar Gatte of the Ayn Rand Institute has put out there about religion and about the new atheists, etc., and what I want to do is actually start off, and I'm going to I'm going to play you a little clip, and it's going to be a, a segment of an interview on the New Atheists that Ankar did with the Ayn Rand Institute's Steve Simpson, and he did this in December of last year, 
what I'm going to do, yeah, I'll, I'll cue this up to about the 30-second mark or so. So I, I really do think that this is worth your time. So indulge me a minute here and listen to Oncar talk about what he thinks, in effect, that the new atheists get right. And these are the people like Sam Harris and um, Dawkins and stuff. Um, so take a listen. Development. What do you what do you think of these guys? Yeah, I mean, on the whole, I have a favorable view of them um, in the sense that I think it is important to name explicitly the the detrimental aspects of religion and faith. Um, and I think Harris, in particular, is good at this. Um, and also in the book, The End of Faith, of getting that there's something wrong with this whole mentality and of trying to base your views on faith is undercutting. And I think also what is good, so you get this kind of view, think just of of after 9-11. Religion is not the problem. Religion, if anything, is part of the solution. And the terrorists, they're distorting religion, they're hijacking a religion. Uh, Islam's not the problem, it's about peace and so on. they're good, and again, particularly Harris is good at, no, there is a connection. Um, and this is a connection that Ayn Rand talks about a lot, which is that there's a connection between faith and force. And this is, Enlightenment was very much on the premise that there's a connection between, one of the ways it was put in the Enlightenment by Voltaire is if someone can make you believe absurdities, he can make you commit atrocities. That if he can get you to violate your own thinking and hold things for no reason, then he can get you to do things that might seem crazy and so on, but you don't need a reason for that to do it. He's just ordering you to do it. He's ordering you to think something and you're supposed to think it, and he orders you to do something and you're supposed to do it. And again, this is, it's, you can secularize this kind of viewpoint, and the Nazis were like this, for instance. Right. Pro, tremendous propaganda, and then they got people to do tremendous atrocities. And, but this is a faith mentality then that translates into extreme force and that there's a real connection. And Harris gets that there's a connection. So it's not that they've hijacked. It's that even the middle-of-the-road religion people who don't try to make religion the essence of their life, they no longer are demanding that religion have political power and political expression. Um, so they're moderate, I mean, they will be characterized as their, but that means, what moderate means is I don't take my religion fully seriously. Um, okay, you don't take it fully seriously, but you say it's legitimate to go by faith. So what's wrong with the person who says, no, I'm taking this fully seriously. I'm not a moderate. I think if we were to go by faith, we're to do it all the time, and we're to have an authority who tells us what to do, and if he says we need to kill people and, and so on, and we need to do something about all these blasphemers and so on, we need to do something. That's my, and I've got marching orders, and that's what I'm doing. And that mentality is a faith-based mentality that then is told to commit atrocities. And it says, yeah, okay, I guess that's what we need to do. Who am I to think? And if, you th- if you're a moderate who says, well, faith is okay, then you're sanctioning that kind of approach and saying it's not really problematic, it's just taken to extreme. But if it's good, what's wrong with taking it to an extreme? And if it's bad, then it's bad even in moderate form. And so, and Okay, so that's about three minutes or so, so I hope you are all still with me here. But this is a very, very important point that Ankar is making here. He is saying that if you accept things on faith, you are 
allowing your mind to be moved in a certain way to the point of belief based on no reason at all. And the next step, as he quoted from Voltaire, is that you would also agree to act on the basis of no evidence. And so that the basic mindset, in effect, that led us to suffer what happened on 9-11 is this idea of faith. Uh, All of these hijackers, they somehow believed that this was what their God, their supernatural being, demanded of them. And the result was the killing of thousands of people and the destruction of the amazing World Trade Towers. Um, But Ankar's point is that this basic mindset is just as bad in those people who claim that they're just moderates about the belief. Not that they're all going to go out and commit atrocities like 9-11 at this point, but what they are doing in allowing themselves to have that mindset is they are sanctioning the basic mental approach, which is accepting things on no evidence at all, believing things based on no evidence at all. They are they are sanctioning that basic approach, and there's nothing in principle different. And in fact, if this is something that's good, on what basis do they denounce the so-called extremists of religion, of any religion, if they accept it in moderate form? If it's good, then it's good in the extreme, of course. If it's bad, then it's bad even in moderation, says Ankar. And I think it is uh, an important message to just listen to and think about. And no, I'm not accusing every person who's religious of being ready to go out and commit a 9-11 right now, but to to think about this and to to talk about, you know, what is the basic approach? I've talked about many times on this show that I am an atheist. And this week in particular, when I've seen some of the material that's come out of Kim Davis, And in particular, we have a couple of candidates for president who are throwing their hat in the ring with Kim Davis. And I'm going to play you a little clip in a bit from her because I I just want you to get the picture of this mentality that we have presidential candidates getting behind, you know, just to make it make it real to you that we have people adopting this faith based mindset and Kim Davis herself, in effect, urging action based on faith. And we have some people taking up the call, as you'll see in some of the program notes. So go to the program notes at the blog, don'tletitgo.com. You'll see all of the stories that I want to talk about today. But before we get to Kim Davis, I want to take a look at the, you know, the news relevant to whether we're going to have another 9-11 sooner rather than later. It seems like those are the, the only two options right now. We don't have any real leadership um, if you can check out some of the the tweets today that are out there about the fact that how atrocious it is that it's 14 years since 9-11 and we are today still living in fear of the same sort of attack. And, uh, you know, I, earlier I saw some tweet by Fox News and they were showing a clip of George W. Bush and some strong thing that I can't even remember what it was. It's like the, the we hear you and those people who took down the towers are going to hear you. George W. Bush said some stuff on 9-11. How 
horrible is it to play a clip of George W. Bush sounding strong on 9-11 today where we're in a position with with our leadership having not done anything of significance to eliminate this threat and, in fact, is with the Iran deal helping to encourage it grow and, and grow. I'm particularly upset about our politicians handling of this Iran nuclear deal. The latest news that we got today on September 11th is that the House GOP has conducted a symbolic vote on the Iran deal. Now, of course, you know the way that they engineered this whole thing and set it up is that the only way that they could, in effect, stop Barack Obama is by putting together a veto-proof majority in both houses. And so any uh, any attempt right now is going to be very, very difficult. It's an uphill battle to try to defeat this nuclear deal because we have politicians in Washington who care more about their political careers, their crony money and partisanship than they do about the safety of the American people. That is where we are. That is the sorry state of politics in the United States today. They will deal with people who call for death to America and want to order us around, as we'll see. They would rather make a deal with these people and allow over $100 billion, $150 billion to flow to those who would finance another 9-11. They want to do that rather than give up their prized political positions. Um, the headline from New York Times is House Rejects Iran Nuclear Deal. And then the New York Times in their spin goes on to say, you know, can't the GOP just kind of move on? You know, we're getting really tired of this. I mean, when they lost in Obamacare, they should just say, okay, we lost and we'll go on to the next battle. We'll just give up. We don't care whether we have medical freedom, you know, with Obamacare. Similarly, if they've lost with the Iran deal, they should just give up and move on to the next thing. I mean, why would this thing, you know, they're going to litigate it and say that, and it is true, the Obama administration is again acting lawlessly uh, with respect to the Iran deal. As I understand it, the deal itself, or excuse me, the the legislation that is permitting the deal to pass unchallenged, that legislation provides that the Obama administration was, was to... Um, you know, show the legislators all of the side deals, the complete agreement, as it were, and they haven't done that. So they're behaving just as lawlessly. And yeah, there should be litigation, sure. Um, it, it's really sad that we're relegated to litigation. But here's the New York Times. They complain about it. They say, okay, well, you know, they had this vote. It can't really come to anything. Why? Because Senate GOP leadership. Um, but, you know, those GOP, they should just, you know, give up and move on. And it's not like this is real life and death stuff to the New York Times. It's just all about, you know, whether they're playing fair or this, that, or the other. So that's the New York Times. At least with Fox News, as much as Fox News annoys me at times, they have a much better, more realistic headline about this. It is, House goes on record against Iran nuclear deal in symbolic vote. And the way I interpret this is, you've all heard recently that John Boehner is in danger of being ousted as House Speaker, which is something that should have happened 
a long time ago. Maybe he should never have even been put in this place at all. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is it's completely safe to take strong stands opposing the Iran deal if you're in Boehner's position right now. Why? Because practically speaking, nothing can be done, not even in the House apparently. They do not have a major you know a majority of people that can overcome a presidential veto in the house not even in the house do they have that much less the senate so it's perfectly safe for the you know Boehner who helped orchestrate this whole thing make sure that we are in the pickle that we are in where this thing cannot be opposed and all of these sanctions are going to be lifted and all this money is going to flow to Iran here's Boehner he wants to save his career it's 9/11 the anniversary of 9/11 and so he goes out there and does this whole show vote and speaks strongly about, you know, against the deal and how horrible it is. How dare he? How dare he when the compromise and the, you know, deals and everything that he does is precisely the thing that puts us in this place in the first place. But yeah, and and you know, Fox has got it right. It's a symbolic vote. It can do nothing more than in, in, in maybe. And again, I don't know whether all of the votes were recorded. I am hoping that the Democrats who voted in favor of the deal, that their names are recorded and that these people are held accountable. Anyway, I just I wanted to get that out there. But so where are we in terms of preventing another 9-11? We are nowhere. And in fact, we have the Obama administration and it's, accessories in the House and the Senate who are allowing money to flow to a leading state sponsor of terrorism so that they can practically ensure that another 9-11 will happen, whether nuclear or otherwise. Um, in terms of the Iran rally, the Iran deal rally, I did want to hear from our listener, Ed, who last week told us that he was going to be able to attend that in person. And maybe it's a good time to let optimistic Ed talk to us for a bit. Is this Ed? Hi. How are you doing? Hi. Um, I'm pretty upset right now because I am not thrilled with the GOP leadership, particularly Boehner, conducting this elaborate show on the anniversary of 9-11 when they know it can do nothing to actually prevent us from harm at the hands of Iran and the people that Iran funds. Well, Boehner is a weasel, but McConnell actually has real power, and he's the one who's um, who is not exercising the power that he has. So right. I, I, while I'm first in line to criticize Boehner, I'm really McConnell is the is the worst. But you know how um, how di- how distasteful is it for Boehner to do this whole show on the anniversary of 9/11 as if he's some tough guy when he doesn't mean a lick of it? It's like oh I'm safe. Whew. There's nothing, no political effect that this can have, and so I am free to act as if I am a strong opponent of this Iran deal. If he was really a strong opponent, why wouldn't he join, uh, you know, Ted Cruz and others in prevailing on Mitch McConnell? Because he has some power vis-a-vis Mitch McConnell, right? Yeah. McConnell needs Boehner in certain ways to get things passed in the House. Right. That's true. I mean, uh, the conservative columnist Eric Erickson calls it failure theater. It's... uh, it's going through the motions uh, in, a, in a way that's designed 
both to fail and to look like they're doing something, which I guess is a pretty good description of the government anyway. Um, So uh, the rally, the rally was fun. I've been to a couple of political rallies before, but I've never been to one on the front lawn of the Capitol. Mm. Um, I took a bunch of pictures. Uh, Those of you who want to see the pictures, uh, some of which, most of which are of the signs that people are carrying, which I find amusing. Um, you can go to my Twitter account, which is uh, couldn't be writer, all one word, C-O-U-L-D-N-T-B-R-I-G-H-T-E-R. And you can see all of the pictures that uh, I took. There was a relatively small crowd. It was extremely hot. It was, it was in the mid-90s, uh, wow. reasonably high humidity. Um, it was very sunny when we first got there. Uh, uh, a few clouds came in a little bit later. And that was a little bit better. The um, I would estimate the crowd to be about 5,000 to 10,000, somewhere in between. I asked hmm. some of the Capitol Police to give me a an estimate, and none of them would would say anything. It's completely uh, not their not their thing anymore to give estimates of the crowd. But you know, we've all been to baseball games and you know, hockey games and stuff. And so we, we have a pretty good idea of what a 5,000-person crowd is and a 10,000. So it's somewhere in between there. Okay. Uh, a lot of good signs, most of which I showed, uh, most of which I took pictures of. Um, you know, why pay for another 9-11 was a great sign. What part of death to America, death to Israel, don't you understand? That was a great sign. There were uh, pictures of uh, sort of bombs with uh, the various senators' names on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a, a great sign that I had to uh, I had to take a picture of that said, Boehner McConnell, repugnant traitors. Yes, and, I, saw, uh, I saw that one. I saw that one. That's excellent. I, 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 I thought of you, Amy, when I saw that, because repugnant seems like one of your, uh, one of your words. Or was it yeah, your I have a... Or? Revoltifying and disgustipating, which I definitely yes. could have pulled out today. Those those are from my mom, actually. But yeah. So as we were waiting for the speeches to warm up, the woman standing next to me says, "Look, look over the Capitol. It looks like a mushroom cloud." And there, right over the Capitol, I took the picture of this. Uh, um, a a cloud had formed in the shape of a mushroom cloud. So I took a picture mm-hmm. of that. I didn't. It was moving fast. I didn't quite get it as as perfect as it was when I first looked, but uh, I thought that was um, a very interesting coincidence. Uh, There were a lot of religious people there, and so I did did want to make uh, my one uh, comment on the rest of your show. Uh, I I wrote on your blog what I think of the Kim Davis issue, so I'm not going to talk about that, but um, Mm -hmm. when you are standing on the barricades, fighting off the hordes of savages. Um, and the guy standing on your right is a Christian, and the guy standing on your left is a Christian, and they're fighting just as hard as you are. Um, we are not, I don't care, in other words. I mean, it, I, mm-hmm. I care in an academic, I care in an academic sense, obviously. We all care. Um, but in the grand scheme of, are we going to be obliterated by a nuclear bomb in the next 20 years, or are a few people going to be inconvenienced in getting their marriage licenses 
Yeah. Well, no, 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 no. But, 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 no, yeah. no. But Ed, Ed, Ed. I, I have one response, and we can then go on to because uh, yeah. I, I want to, I want to hear from you about Ted and uh, Ted Cruz and yeah. um, okay. Donald Trump, and and uh, in, in particular, I'm concerned to hear about the relative merit and value and substance of the two politicians' speeches. That's that's really what because I, I really liked what I heard okay. from Ted Cruz. But yeah, but let me let me give you the one response, and the one response is this. George W. Bush was in his inaction, in his failure to eliminate this threat, which he had plenty of opportunity to do. He was guided by what would Jesus do and a respect in general for religion as evidenced by his immediately coming out with the infamous Islam means peace mantra. So, you know, you could say, okay, yeah, they're fighting. But they're fighting only to a certain extent, right? They're not. They're not going to blame the religious mindset as such because they themselves hold it to a large extent. And in fact, George W. Bush, in his response, was moved and affected by that, and I would say addled by it. So yeah. there's that. Well, I'm certainly no defender of of, of Bush on this uh, issue, so I certainly agree with you there. Um. So. Uh, there were 50 speeches, and I stuck around for most of them. Uh, the, wow, 50. The, um, 50 people speaking, yeah. The the um, the big names came around 1.30. Um, there was a group of military and intelligence personnel. Uh, a, a, an, an admiral uh, spoke for them. Uh, Jim, Jim Woolsey, a former CIA uh, director, spoke for, for them and said it was a bad idea. Uh, Frank Gaffney, who was a sort of, you know, defense activist, spoke. Uh, and then uh, came Ted Cruz, and you can watch his speech on uh, YouTube. It was it was very good. Um, I really I really do like Ted Cruz. I think his uh, his approach to the issue is. I mean, he names the enemy, mm-hmm. and he um, he you know calls a traitor a traitor, and he. Uh, he is a very good speaker. It's totally extemporaneous. He may have had, uh, you know, one three by five card with a couple of words written on it that he he looked down to. But most of the things he did was, most of the things he said were completely extemporaneous. And uh, he pointed to an actual way to go forward on this. Um, the only way I think we have, and that is to threaten the banks that hold the money that if they let the money go without, you know, in defiance of the law, I mean. Right, right. But as as I understand it, what would have to happen in order for that plan, and, you know, you're out in 95 degrees. I I just praise you for going out in this insane weather and then coming here to give us that report. I don't know that I could have survived the temperatures myself. Um, But as I understand it, what they wanted, he wanted the leadership to do was pass legislation or resolutions stating that in the opinion of the legislatures, the 60-day review period had not yet commenced because Obama had failed to produce all of the, you know, the complete agreement, including the side agreements. And so the effect of that is that Obama would not have the authorization yet to start lifting the sanctions because they're still within the review period. He's not free to act yet. He has to wait for that review period to lapse. 
And so then right. the idea is that Obama would, you know, as is his usual want, uh, he would use his pen and phone and whatever to get the banks to start allowing the money to flow to Iran anyway, even That's right. You know, despite this resolution. And so then what Ted Cruz... The resolution is unimportant. The resolution is is unimportant. Well, right. And and I guess Cruz could still go to these banks and say, you know, Obama is violating the letter of the law. And you banks, we could still hold you accountable for law releasing these funds, right? But it would be be much stronger. It would be much stronger if you actually had the you know, the checks and balances system working and the leadership in both the House and the Senate actually getting behind this plan and making it happen because they certainly could pass these resolutions, at least on part As I understand it, as I understand it, the House, and I haven't looked at the news today because I've been working, but uh, the House is going to pass that resolution uh, today. So that was part of, of Boehner's plan. Not a big fan, but he was going to do that. And so that would at least put one house on the record as saying we're not going to allow uh, Obama to claim that he's met the letter of the law when clearly he hasn't. Exactly. And that is that is is useful when you go to court. Now, if you go to court and sue Obama, obviously uh, he's just going to ignore um, the court order as he's done over and over again in his presidency. But the banks have fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders. And to let go $20 billion to Iran, you know, $20 billion right. here at this bank, $30 billion to that bank, knowing that and it, some and Republicans it's not, it's not get just, elected, they're yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's not just It's not just that they're courting civil liability, civil liability right? Because, I mean, ideally they could be sued, right? But it's not just that. It is appealing to their conscience. Can they don't have consciences. Leaders of banks don't have consciences. Come on, I interviewed a CEO of a bank on this show who has tremendous conscience, and I'm sure there's other bankers out there who do have conscience. Some of them can still remember 9-11 and aren't completely corrupted by the crony deals the way that the politicians are. Yes or no? Obviously, John Allison is a is a, uh, a tremendous individual, and I certainly am uh, in favor of him, but his bank is not holding any of the Iranian assets. It's held it. The croniest of crony banks, such as Citibank or um, Bank of America, that sort of thing. So, so you, so you uh, think that the chance that any of these people would listen to Ted Cruz's plan is about zilch, unless it was due I think to them I, not, in, 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 not they didn't want to be sued, and that that's the only that's motivation right. I, for them. Yeah, I, I think I think their lawyers will tell them that there's a possibility of being sued. Anyway, it's the only practical plan I've heard in stopping the money from right. flowing. Um, and so I, I very, very much like that. Uh, moving on yeah, to taking up too much part of your that show. Plan, right? By the way, by the way, a, a practical consequence of this is if any of us find that we have accounts with any of the banks that is in you know, control of whether this money flows, we could ourselves write letters, right? I assume uh, you can speak up. A shareholder meeting is the shareholders rather than the depositors who are affected. Uh, if you're a shareholder of any of the banks, you can certainly get on the agenda. Well, you can you can appeal to them where it hurts. You can say, "I'm going to move all my accounts to your competitor, so and so," right? Yeah. Well, I mean, after four trillion dollars of 
the Fed's money pumped into these big New York banks, I think your, you know, $1,500 is not going to make a big deal. Um, but the threat of a $20 billion lawsuit will make a big deal. Sure. Um, okay. So, yeah. Then uh, Trump uh, came on. Uh, Ted Cruz introduced him as my good friend, Donald Trump. Mm. Uh, now, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a 100% fan. As I sat on the subway going in, I sat next to a woman going to a rally, and we talked, and she said she was very much in favor of Trump, and she went there to see him. And so I tried to bring her out, right? I'm sitting on this train for 45 minutes. Why do you like Donald Trump? And I got nothing coherent. I don't. Nothing even in my memory is something that she said other than, you know, he could fix Washington or he could, you know, he could get rid of the people. He, he you know, he's the, the strength to get rid of the people who are doing bad things. There was nothing coherent in her views. Now, it was not my purpose to argue with her there. And so I didn't. I was trying to find out, you know, why would you like this guy? Right. He came out and he gave, he gave a decent speech, a lot of braggadocio. Um, a lot of cheering at the braggadocio. He, he said, mm. uh, "He said, uh, I, I guarantee you that if I'm elected president, uh, our four hostages in Iran will be will be let go before I'm inaugurated." Um, as a kind of implicit threat, harkening back to to what happened with Reagan, Reagan and Carter. Right. Yeah. Um, and that got a huge cheer. And uh, he said, you know, he talked about he, you know, he knows deals. You read that book, The Art of the Deal, back a long time ago, and he, um, he this is the worst deal ever ever made. And he talked about a few points. He he pulled out a, a printout from the internet, which showed that uh, at that morning the Ayatollah said something like, uh, you know, we're we're never going to deal with the Americans again. We're, this deal's over, and that's it. That's a one-time thing. And as far as we're concerned, uh, we're we're not going to deal with them on any issue. Ever right. again, um, it was pretty good. It got an enthusiastic response. If you can get past the braggadocio or some of the crazy things that he said, um, which I can't, but I mean, if you could get beyond that, um, it, it wasn't a half bad speech. Um, there was a third presidential candidate there, uh, former Virginia Governor Jim Gilmore, uh, gave a talk. His talk was also quite good. Um, he doesn't have you know, snowball's chance in hell of get it going anywhere. He's probably running for vice president. I think. But, I think um, I heard. I think I heard that he was just cut out of the lineup for the CNN debate. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, he was certainly. I've lived in Virginia for a long time now, and he certainly was the best governor we ever had. Okay. So uh, he he's very very strong. He was the only Virginia governor that ever cut taxes, in and we've had a lot of. Republican governors, but he was the only one who cut taxes. So uh, he did okay. The uh, Mark Levin gave a typical Mark Levin speech. Uh, you guys are familiar with Mark Levin, so you'll understand. Uh, he did say that he wanted his best line was that uh, I wish we could take some of the scaffolding off the Capitol, which is being restored, and give it to Boehner and McConnell to stiffen their spines. Uh, <laughs> that got, that got a huge cheer. Um, Then we got uh, Phil Robertson from Duck Dynasty, and he gave a very religious speech. Mm. Um, His his best line, you're not going to like this, but his best line is, uh, we're pro-God, pro-gun, and pro-get-your-ass-a-job. And that got a huge 
huge uh, cheer. Uh, mm-hmm. Sarah Palin uh, spoke. She uh, she had a good line. She talked about uh, when it comes to this Iran deal, Hillary is spinning faster than the Iranian centrifuges. I always thought that was that was a pretty. But you can always. She's she's very hit or miss, and when she hits, she often really hits, and when she misses, yeah. she often really misses. Oh yeah, right. yeah, she's she's she also spoke extemporaneously, and uh, it was totally incoherent. You know, it's it's Sarah Palin is not is not uh, known for coherence, and then a whole host of people. Now, I, I, after about I don't know two two hours, so after about three o'clock. I didn't bring water because I was an idiot. So I said, I got to go find some water. And of course, um, capitalism is not allowed anywhere on the grounds of the Capitol. Oh, no. So I had to, you know, walk three or four blocks to get some water. And as I passed out, I saw this group of religious Jews. Um, and there's a picture of them on a Twitter account. Uh, I, I, they have a weird name, which I can't pronounce, but I called them Jews for Genocide. And they were um, they were protesting both the counter protesting both the rally, but they were also protest- protesting the existence of Israel at all as a state. Oh and, my gosh! Uh, and uh, yeah, anti-Zionist world Jewry condemned the Zionist impede- impeding of world peace. And uh, nkusa.org. It's a it's a small sect, but they were very. It, it wasn't like Noam Chomsky, who, you know, while of Jewish extraction, totally repudiates Judaism and, and hates Israel. They were specifically, we are ultra-Jewish and we hate Israel. And uh, th- uh, there were maybe a hundred of them there. And wow. many of them were dressed in the, the traditional Orthodox Which, which made them trail. very uncomfortable in that heat, I assume. Yeah, they were standing in the shade, though. So. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But so I didn't get. I, I'm glad I had to go for water because I uh, I wouldn't have seen the Jews for genocide. That really shook me up. I there, there's something about that sort of sort of self hatred that gets me a lot. Right. You know, hits me in the gut. You know. Um. Uh, then I got some water and came back. Took some more pictures. Um. One of the best signs. Uh, that I saw was uh, a quote from Winston Churchill. You are given the choice between war and dishonor. You chose dishonor and you will have war. Mm -hmm. And I think that pretty much sums up, uh, sums up my view as well. So, right. And and this is, this is why Trump, I'm glad. Yes. I'm glad he poses the Iran deal, but he doesn't have the angle on the Iran deal that it is dishonorable even to negotiate with Iran. Even if you could get a, quote, better deal, why would you be negotiating with this regime? That I mean, I don't know. You said you haven't seen the latest news. One of the links that I have, again, go to my blog, everybody who's listening, don'tletitgo.com. I have got I, what I think is a good you know, set of program notes for today's show. Iran to Americans is the headline. And and what is Iran telling us? Stop commemorating the 9-11 attacks. They want to tell us what we can and can't do. The 9-11 attacks, which they no doubt helped to finance and support, but we're supposed to stop commemorating them. 
And what I've been asking as I said, you know, this this is actually from U.S. News, this story, and it is published today. Uh, Iran wants us to stop commemorating the attacks. That's the directive from a new op-ed published Friday today in Iran's state-run news service, claiming that the U.S. response to the attacks and the subsequent global war and the blah, 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 uh, accounts for the widespread domestic unrest within the U.S. and most problems in the Middle East. See, it's all our fault. Um, of course. Yes. Well, I don't, Every- think, I don't think Trump has any principles. This is different from Cruz. I think Cruz is a very principled person. Not all of his principles are, um, you know, consequ- consonant with objectivism, but I think he is a very principled person. And uh, he, he doesn't strike me as a George W. Bush type. Um, I could be wrong, and you're going to discuss one of the ways in which he is wrong uh, later in the show, but um, but he does strike me as someone um, who is a principled person. Uh, he's trying his best to figure out ways to get around Boehner and McConnell, not to mention our Manchurian candidate for president. Right. But... Right. Um, uh, I, I was very impressed. It was the first time I've seen Cruz in person. And, I mean, he, uh, he he is super impressive. And, and and one of the links that I've shared today is his Facebook post on 9-11, yeah. which is excellent, as good, better than any candidate who's running for president right now. He has the best foreign policy substance and knowledge, as I can see, on what I think is the biggest issue for us, this and there is a diff- I'll say to all of your listeners, there is a difference between watching a football game on the television and going to a football game live or a baseball game or whatever. There is a certain energy of being in a crowd of like-minded and friendly people, and I do hardly recommend that if you get the chance, go out and see uh, Ted Cruz speak live because it is – it is different from watching him on television or watching him on the, inter- uh, the Internet. It's a, there's a lot more enthusiasm. There's a lot more passion that you can feel. Um, in, in a lot of sense, the, the TVization of our campaigns has removed a lot of the emotional impact of some of these candidates. And while we don't make decisions based on emotions, um, the emotions are an important fuel for getting up and and helping and supporting and and so I do recommend that everyone go see a rally if they can right right no and and I mean you know I'm one of the people who was in favor of what Ted Cruz with you know did with respect to trying to defund Obamacare even if it was unlikely to you know yield any particular political effect he was pushing with everything that he had, and he was inspiring for those of us who realized that you don't just, you know, quote, you know, what, rub off, you know, wipe off your hands, wipe the dust off your hands after this political battle, so to speak, and then just go on to the next issue. You realize that this issue of freedom and health care is literally a life and death issue, and you keep on it and you keep on it. So, no, I, I agree with that. The, the thing with Cruz and that I'm realizing in watching the whole Kim Davis thing is that insofar as we align ourselves with Cruz and anybody who has this re- religious mentality and takes it seriously at all, we are playing with fire to a certain extent. We are. 
And as long as we know, you know, if if we think that, you know, this is the best way to go in the position that we are right now, nonetheless, which I think might be a valid position, that's fine. But we need to keep in mind that the long-term survival of the country is going to depend on abandoning this medieval mindset. Yes, yes. Of course, we have to get through the short term to get to the long term. And one wonders whether four or eight years of the Clinton crime family being in power again, um, which is kind of our option right. at this time, uh, would would allow us that short term. One never knows. Now, now uh, Freedom, Freedom Breeze here in the chat room, and I, I can't hear you too well. I don't know if you made a change in your setups as we've been talking. The cat, the cat insisted upon uh, intruding into our conversation. How about, oh, oh how about I now? see. It's the cat. Let's yeah. blame it on the cat. Um, I have dogs, so, you know, yeah, they're superior inherently. Um, Freedom Breeze asked, does Cruz still believe we can stop the Iran deal? And as I understand it from you and, and our conversation here, he believes, yes, we can stop at least some of the worst effects of it, which is to allow these funds to actually be released by the banks because we have other avenues to try to get them to not release those funds. Is that right? Yes, there are aspects of the deal that we can stop. He, he believes we can stop the funds, and of course he believes that the American sanctions uh, can be can be stopped. The, the lifting of the American sanctions can be stopped. Um, again, through this le- legal process, I, I, the courts are not particularly good at this sort of thing they don't tend to go they don't tend to want to go into arguments between the two branches about how to deal with foreign policy and so it's a long shot it's you know it's fourth and long with 10 seconds left and you're down you know by a touchdown but right. it's it's something you know it's something to do um but the international sanctions are gone for for pretty much ever um and the europeans are flooding tehran i've read uh, with uh, businessmen trying to do deals with the Iranians. Um, the, mm-hmm. the good news is it's not a treaty, so the next president can decide on his own that the Iranians are in violation of the agreement, um, which they already are. I mean, they're in violation of it today, right? So it's not right. going to be hard to prove that they're in violation of it two years from now and then take military action. But the weird thing is, as Obama said, well, we, the only choice was between... Uh, this deal in war, and he has essentially guaranteed war as the only alternative in the future. Um, right. And the war, and the war will be will be messy because they get to fight back, and they're they have, you know, they have well, some capabilities this, which are bad. Exactly, and this is this is why I ask: Is the article from the U.S. News, you know, in which the Iranians are telling us stop commemorating the 9/11 attacks? Is this the new world order post the Iran deal? Because they're going to start telling us things to do and threaten to back it up with action. And I mean, what what are your thoughts? How soon is that going to happen? Uh, well, it's happening today, right? I mean, the, Syria. The, nobody's fighting for Syria except the Iranian Quds Force. Um, they're they control Lebanon through Hezbollah. They control. The Gaza Strip through Hamas, they control Yemen through the Houthis. Um, they are trying to surround Saudi Arabia. Now, Saudi Arabia are no uh, friends of liberty, but they are 
um, you know, in a real politic sense on our side. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, the goal is to destabilize Saudi Arabia. I mean, that is the primary goal of the Iranian government. Uh, They they don't particularly and, and that's, care. And that's apparently a goal that Barack Obama has shared. I, I read an article earlier. I actually didn't stick it in the program notes, but it was about basically what the importance of Russia being involved in the Middle East and having you know a force on the ground in Syria. What, what's the meaning of this? And the idea is that Barack Obama has undone the entire infrastructure, so to speak, the foreign policy infrastructure in the Middle East whatever sort of stability had been cobbled together over a period of decades by his predecessors, he has undone this. And one key piece in that has been the Russians because basically it it, it gave him like plausible deniability because the Russians were opposing certain things at key points that basically took the blame off of Obama for some of these moves in the destabilization. So he has changed kind of the whole alignment of power in the Middle East, Barack Obama, during his presidency. And I'm sure that he's patting himself on the back as that is the signature achievement. What apparently Obama tries to tell us is that maintaining whatever alliance and infrastructure that we had in the Middle East, that all of that cost us too much and we had to have too much presence on the ground. But what is going to be the cost in terms of our lives, the lives of our allies, the entire destruction of Europe, of Obama's policies? Yeah, I mean, I think the the hegemony, the next, uh, while the ultimate goal is to destabilize Saudi Arabia, but the uh, more proximate goal is probably Jordan. Um, Mm -hmm. Jordan is... Um, by the way, I'll take the I'll vote for the Jordanian king for president any time. <laughs> right. Um, he's he's great. I mean, he's like um like what the presidents are in movies. You know, he's a fighter pilot, and he's uh, he's mm-hmm. very strong on his anti. Uh, uh, obviously, he's Islamic, but anti-Islamic terrorism. He really wants to fight, um, but his country is a very difficult place because it's dominated by. Uh, Palestinians and they are not nice people. Mm-hmm. So I would I would say Jordan. There's these huge huge number of Syrian refugees now in in Jordan. Um, wow. So I would expect Jordan to be the next domino, uh, but ultimately Saudi Arabia is the goal, and, and for the Iranians to and Shiites to control most of the Middle East. I mean that's the long term goal. They want nuclear weapons. I don't. I they certainly. They certainly want to attack Israel. I, I don't think we're going to see like missiles arcing over the Middle East and, and landing on Israel with nuclear bombs, primarily because, as suicidal as the Iranian leaders are, they know they can't they can't win that particular thing. But uh, covert introduction of a nuclear weapon into Israel that just goes off without any warning, I would I could expect that, or mm-hmm. the or the fact that the mere presence of nuclear weapons in Iran would deter people from engaging in a conventional war against them, such that if they, for instance, took over Jordan, they could engage in a conventional war against Israel um, and know that Israel couldn't respond nuclearly or they would respond that way. So it's all very much a, 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 it's a very complicated political game, uh, very long 
term gain. Uh, it's something completely uh, out of Obama's ability to deal with. Um, well, I mean, this this coming week, we're going to get another look at the candidates, one of whom might save us from this deal. And I think that's the only realistic hope that we can have now. Uh, but you think that Ted Cruz's plan of blocking at least parts of this deal shows some promise? It, it shows that he's the only one willing to fight. Right. And he's thinking. He's always thinking. He's thinking right. of a way. You know, he's not like saying, well, nothing we can do, like Boehner and McConnell. He's saying, like, no, no, let's think about this. There might be something we can do. And he might be wrong, and he, it might not work. But uh, I just, you know, it's, it's bad enough when your football team takes a knee in the fourth quarter because they're behind too far. But imagine them doing it time and again all through the fourth quarter because they don't want to fight. I mean, that's Boehner and McConnell. They just right. don't want to fight. And I think they well, is and, and they, they knowingly they knowingly put themselves in the position that they're in right now, time yeah. and again and again. They paint themselves into a corner. They claim that uh, they don't want a government shutdown on on you know any issue. The current two being the Iran deal and the Planned Parenthood funding, mm. but um, they do this saying, "Well, no, it, it always redounds against Republicans when we shut down the government." Well, they, Ted Cruz shut down the government. Two years ago, and and the Republicans gained eight seats in the Senate. So, I mean, I don't see. I mean, there's facts that completely disprove the Boehner-McConnell ideas. Right. Um, so, anyway, I'll let you no, go, Amy. It was a great time. You. If you get a chance, uh, go go see Ted Cruz in person. Yeah, I I will. I'm hoping it's not going to be 95 degrees. Um, I, I was going to say, bless you for going out there, even though I'm an atheist, uh, for for doing that. And thank you for calling in, Ed, and, and giving us a report here. No problem. See you next week. Definitely see you next week. I'm glad that people are adjusting over here to the new time here in the chat room. Uh, Kay McKenna says, the best thing about Cruz's speech was letting legislators know that they would be responsible for the death of sons and daughters. <sighs> Definitely. Um, oh, Jonathan says, oh, terrific broadcast. Thank you, Jonathan. Now, I'm going to go into now a more controversial and perhaps distasteful portion for some. So it's either going to be controversial or it's going to be distasteful because what I'd like to do now is do something that I wasn't brave enough to do earlier in the week, which was actually play a portion of this Kim Davis video um, where she breaks her silence. I'm going to spare you the part where she just walks in there playing uh, Eye of the Tiger. And you need to watch the video for yourself, right? Because, yes, it's not going to be the same as being there in person, but it is definitely better than just getting the audio. But I want you to hear a little bit of the audio. The whole thing is only about two minutes, and she is silent for the first part of it. Um, I know that on her right is Mike Huckabee in this MSNBC clip. Uh, on her left, I don't know who that is. I guess I should know. I'm sorry I don't, um, if I should, but... It's funny because, you know, they're both standing there with her on stage and she's emotionally overcome. And I think the guy on her left is a little worried about what she's going to say. And so at one point where, 
you know, she's going to talk, but she's not going to talk, but she's going to talk, but she's not going to talk. You know, she lifts the microphone, then maybe not. And, you know, um, he seems to have the idea that maybe he'll just take the microphone from her and then she won't say anything. And I think, yeah, maybe they would have been a little bit better off. Let me see if I can bring up the volume on some of this here. And, and you can hear what she says. She still can't talk. She still can't talk. Thank you all so much. Here she goes. I love you all so very much. I think they're chanting stand with Kim or something like that. trying to be a preacher now. We serve a living God who knows exactly where each and every one of us is at. Just keep on pressing. Don't let down because he is here. So it's all about God. Uh, keep pressing. He's living. He's here. He's worthy. Keep pressing. Keep pressing, she says. So if you want to check out that level, and I do think, I think you should watch that because this is the fire that you're playing with when you support these very religious political candidates because we know that at least two of them have aligned themselves explicitly with Davis. One of them is Huckabee, who was up there on stage. There was a funny little clip that was going around where I guess Ted Cruz also wanted to get up on stage with her during that time. And, I mean, I I would have lost any lunch that I have eaten in the last five days probably watching that because there's so much that I like about Ted Cruz. And then to see him align himself with this. I mean, this is like a religious revival meeting. And they're sitting there in effect, celebrating the fact that she's out of prison, even though she prevented people who love each other from getting married like everybody else out there. This is what they're celebrating. This is what she's insisting that they press on about, right? You have, you must press on. She's urging action on the basis of faith. And in effect, that is apparently what she is going to get. Uh, I put the link on the program notes at don'tletitgo.com. Thanks to Mark Griefer for sending it on. But t- you know, Ted Cruz had a little page on his site, and it's still there. Stand with Kim Davis, and you're supposed to, you know, fill out your name and address and be all excited about standing with Kim Davis. Remember, stand with that. There's a living God. He's here. He knows where each of you are, and. That is the basis on which you should choose to act and choose to interfere with the liberty of others. Remember, for Ted Cruz, he has been emphasizing this as an issue of religious liberty. And for me, if you're going to have religious liberty, the 
freedom to act on your own judgment on the basis of your religious views. What I have in mind is I have a you know I have in mind a baker, someone who does not want to bake a cake for a homosexual wedding, or someone who doesn't want to do flower arrangements or photography for a homosexual wedding. Private individuals who don't want to take private actions on the basis of their religious beliefs. If religious liberty is to mean anything, that's what it's going to mean. And what Cruz is doing is he is extending this concept to apply to a woman who is motivated completely on the basis of faith to act against the law. And she's acting against the law in a way that deprives individuals of their own liberty. Right? Um, I put out through the Ayn Rand bot this week and, and retweeted around there. So you can go find it on the Ayn Rand bot on Twitter. Uh, there's a quotation from Rand uh, where she's talking about civil disobedience. And I had to excerpt it a little bit because the it was talking about mass civil disobedience. And there are instances in which mass civil disobedience violates the rights of other people. And she says, to the extent that your civil disobedience violates the right of others, this is not something that should be happening in a free society like ours today. To the extent that you can see Kim Davis as exercising civil disobedience, she is doing so in the violation of the rights of others. I'm not a big fan of the concept liberty as the foundation myself. For me, the foundation, you know, I follow Ayn Rand in this, that it's individual rights, it's rights. Now, one of the rights is, you know, liberty, and that is to act according to your own judgment. Homosexual couples have the same right to act according to their own judgment as we do. And insofar as the state is involved in marriage and that who can and can't get married is determined by the state, we need to give the same rights to them as we do to everybody else. And she is rejoicing in a religious revival way in the denying of this to the couples. Now, this is obviously, as Ted Cruz will remind us, it's not the same as those people who are hanging homosexuals in the Middle East. But the religious fervor and the idea that she is impelled by religion, it's purely due to faith. Again, go back to the Ankar clip that I played at the very beginning. There's no evidence for the position that she's taking. It's not on the basis of evidence. It's on the basis that God is telling her to do it. And she actually believes there's a living God here, and she's getting cheers for this and this mentality. You know, again, when um, Ed was just talking on the phone call about, the, you know, if you're president at one of these events, you can get kind of whipped up in a frenzy. If you're already on the premise that it is acceptable to have your beliefs and then sometimes your actions moved by faith, and you are at an event like this where you have people in positions of authority you and you're already inclined to believe them, then you're going to get whipped up into this. So what I'm saying is, yes, I, I still think that I might plausibly vote for Ted Cruz. I certainly can't put a bumper sticker on my car because I don't want people to think that I support this Kim Davis type thing. Um, might still vote for him, might support him, but... To the extent that we align ourselves with him, we are definitely playing with fire. And this is the kind of fire that we are playing with. So I want everyone, if you think you support Ted Cruz, watch that Kim Davis video. Watch that kind of fervor that is there in her and then in the audience. And, you know, when I first saw the clip, I saw, you know, the crosses and everything and, and the look on her face. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this is 2015 in United States of America and this is, to me, 
it, it, it's such a step back uh, culturally. Um, when Ankar was speaking, he was talking about the issue of, of faith and force. And, of course, we saw that directly and vividly and horribly in an atrocious way on 9-11. Um, but you see that in a smaller way today. Uh, hat tip to Rob Abiera for sharing this clip. This is from a website that I hadn't heard of before. It's called JoeMyGod.com. In Kentucky, there are heavily armed, quote, Christian patriots who have formed a militia that have vowed to stop future arrests of Kim Davis. They're willing to take up arms in favor of her so-called civil disobedience in her act of defying the liberty of homosexuals. Now, again, um, you may or may not agree with the issue of homosexual marriage, but that's not your place if you are a government official telling people what commitments they can and cannot make as consenting adults. And if she wants to not, you know, issue those marriage licenses for those homosexual couples, she should resign. And, you know, this is the one issue and the approach to the issue that makes you think maybe someone like Carly Fiorina might be a better type candidate. But, you know, it just cemented in my mind watching this that there is no political candidate that I can be completely enthusiastic about, even if I think there are many, you know, distinct things. And I did. I posted the link to Ted Cruz's statement on 9-11. It is excellent. Go read it. But then also realize that insofar as he stands unequivocally with this approach, that he is himself to some moderate extent in some moderate realm, heavily expertly compartmentalized, he is adopting the the faith and forth mindset. Fiona in the chat room says here, why is it when Kim Davis denies a marriage license, this is a job expected to be done as part of her description, she lands in jail during the same week that a Muslim airline hostess denies alcohol service on a plane, which is part of her own job description, and she doesn't. Well, I mean, that that is actually a fairly easy question to answer. Um, the Muslim airline hostess should not be arrested. She should just be simply fired, right, because she's working for a private airline. Now, you could say if she's working for a government airline, but still, I don't think that there's this whole idea of someone being held in contempt of court for not serving alcohol on a plane. What should happen to her is she should be fired or if, you know, they're a charitable airline, they can transfer her to another job that doesn't involve the serving of alcohol. But I will expect that we're going to see a whole lot more of this and at some point we're going to see a reduction or maybe even elimination of alcohol service here. Why? You know, and th- this is this is where you hear the pessimism in my voice today because a we have this strong element throughout our country and in both political parties of condoning a religious mindset in general, having, quote, respect for religion. And we are at the same time allowing all of these Islamic refugees to come into the United States. Um, we've seen already in Germany with all of the Syrian refugees they put some Syrian refugee camp near a middle school or a grade school or something. And as a result, they told 
the parents of the kids going to the middle school and the grade school, the women in particular, you know, the girls, the girls, the parents of the girls, that they should make sure that the girls are modestly clothed so as not to offend the refugees, the refugees who should be grateful that they're being taken in and allowed to live in a place that isn't like the hell that they came from, we are supposed to change our habits to accommodate them. We are going to keep seeing more and more and more of this. Why? Because in a fundamental way, even the best political leaders in our country accept the mindset of doing things and taking actions and being offended simply on the basis of faith, which means on the basis of absolutely no evidence. Um, I don't talk about religion that much on this show, but particularly today, and I don't think I've ever had a a show that actually fell on the anniversary of 9-11, but particularly today and particularly when I see this Kim Davis revival meeting with two of the leading candidates for the Republican nomination in 2015 in the United States, I'm going to talk about it. And I'm probably going to be talking a little bit more about religion and and atheism and, and here and maybe in some other uh, formats as well. So I, th- I think it is important, um, contrary to a lot of the popular belief, America is not fundamentally a Christian nation. Not fundamentally, right? The right to the pursuit of happiness is not a, is not a fundamentally Christian right. It's a fundamentally individualist celebration of life on this earth type of right. That is what it is. Um, yeah, Fiona in the chat room says, yes, agreed, fired. Um, definitely. Now, I've got kind of this weird gray thing looking here in the chat room on Blog Talk. I don't know why it's showing up as gray. I wonder if that means I've been somehow disconnected. <sighs> Freedom Bree says, okay, good for you, Amy. It's not something we can... No, and we we cannot ignore it. Um, I have been an atheist since age 12, and I will probably put together some like a a little video or something out there just kind of explaining why that is. But it's fundamentally this issue of evidence and the idea of allowing a belief into your mind without evidence when it is our rational faculty that is our means of survival. This is a very large problem. And I agree, Cruz is a giant intellect and he is somehow able to you know keep thinking deeply about things like Obamacare and the Iran deal and coming up with very you know kind of masterful ways that even though the Republicans you know have put themselves in the fourth quarter and the blah 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 that they can do something to stop these horrible things I'm glad that he does that but I am amazed at the extent that he is able to do that given that he also, in another part of his brain, accepts this faith-based mentality. How deeply does he truly accept it? Is he doing it in part as a way of you know, politics? We don't know. <laughs> Tim says Amy is a born-again atheist. Just about, just about. I mean, I was having escape fantasies saying I've got to leave to some place that's more secular. I mean, when you when you think of uh, Yaron Brook, right, he's the head of ARI, and he's got a competing show here on Blog Talk Radio. As a matter of fact, I think he ran his Rewind at the same time I've got my live show here today, so maybe directly competing, but, you know, competing for your time, right? Um, 
he always talks about having been a real liberal at age 16, but I think secular kind of in his, in his mindset. And someone who is a secular liberal can be converted, in effect converted, uh, convinced of the rightness of objectivism. Why? Because you read the books and you read the arguments and you are on the basis of taking conclusions as true only on the basis of rational argument. And so in my mind, the way that things are going, I am thinking, you know, along the lines of of Leonard Peikoff, you know, Leonard Peikoff says, what is the biggest danger today that we are going to slide into a dark age governed by religious totalitarianism? And when you think about this, the mindset, the mindset that finds it acceptable to take things on faith without evidence, without argument, that is that is dangerous, right? Um, so increasingly more, I, I think, oh, we'll go somewhere. Well, why not at the same time try to argue here in United States? Again, don't let it go. Try to revive the American sense of life. I don't think the American sense of life is primarily based on religion because what is religion about? Religion is about sacrificing yourself, your independent beliefs for faith, for what a higher being dictates to you. Some people, they compartmentalize that in their life. They do it only in a certain realm and et cetera. But eventually that has really got to break down. Reason governs these people except when it doesn't and you are playing with fire and and like i said that kim davis video shows exactly the type of fire that you're playing with um fiona asked do i believe in some form of universal energy um energy i mean there there is energy out there I, i i really only believe in anything that you can provide me physical proof for so if they can you know, show me some physical proof of some universal energy. Otherwise, no. Um, you know, there's there's all these things that'll happen in life that you can um, try to chalk up to some sort of intervention from a universal energy or a higher being or whatever you want to call it. But really, it's either coincidence or it could be human action directed towards a a certain way. You know, there was um. I think Drudge put at the top of his page today that in Mecca there was this big storm and then they had this horrible accident that a crane that they were doing some work on uh, in Mecca, they were doing work on a mosque or something, this big crane fell down and I think killed 65 people or something. And I believe that the implication from Drudge is that like on 9-11, God made this storm and then the crane fell down or something like that. You know, it's like karma or whatever. Um, okay, if there was a God, why would he let 9-11 happen? If, again, he's on our side and he's, right? No, this this is a coincidence. Now, why would a crane fall down there? Maybe the addled mind's of the people who placed that crane there in the way they did not to see the danger of the storms and how it could be knocked over. I think that's what I'm going to go ahead and blame it on, not on some sort of um, universal energy. So no, I, I, I don't believe it. It's, it's definitely got to be based on evidence. Um, okay. So that part of the, this particular show is over. There's going to be many times that I'm going to continue to talk on behalf of Republicans, but this week and this day in particular, 
where the you know the religious mindset is first and foremost in my mind and my, the religious mindset and how it leads to atrocities i definitely had to say that um here's a place where we uh shifting gears now here's a place where we do share they common cause oh i'm sorry i'm sorry um i i should pause the video um we do share common cause with some Christians and uh, people, other people who are concerned about what's going on in our government schools. There is a woman who appeared on Fox and Friends to discuss the fact that in a government school, and I don't know exactly where it is that this happened, um, in a government school, students were ordered to write out on paper various pillars of Islam, including the Islamic conversion creed. So I'll just play you really quick a clip of the mother reporting uh, what went on in her kid's school. They did this assignment where they wrote out the five pillars of Islam, including having the children learn and write the Shahada, which is the Islamic conversion creed. I do think it is the state sponsoring religion in schools. They're not going over anything else. So for the students to have to memorize this prayer, it does seem like it's indoctrination. And she's right. It is indoctrination. What is the answer? The major answer, of course, is to get rid of government schools entirely. But for some reason right now, we are giving Islam a pass in our government schools, I am sure that the kids are not given parallel assignments to write out the creeds of other religions. Um, Why is it? I would guess because I believe the Muslims are more motivated. One thing that uh, we heard recently is that for all the refugees, the Syrian refugees that are being accepted into Germany, the Saudi Arabians, who would not take in the refugees themselves, the Saudi Arabians have offered to finance the building of 200 mosques in Germany. So that's going to be helpful and uh, hopeful. So imagine this accepting of this faith-based approach that it's across the board. And, you know, again, I, I do think it's dangerous, but this is where we can make an alliance here. I mean, that that is really where... Cruz and others, they say, yes, they themselves are, you know, basing some of what they do on faith, but it's faith in their God, which is good, as opposed to, I guess, the Islamic God, which is bad. But the entire mindset at root is fundamentally the same. I have another call that I'm going to go ahead and grab here. Hi, who's this? Bosh. Bosh, thank you for calling in today. So... 9-11, the anniversary of 9-11 is a pretty big day for you, mostly because a lot of your work centers on reacting to the type of atrocity that was committed on 9-11. I hate to say the type of atrocity because there is, I mean, that is is unique, but the the atrocity motivated in the same way. We've had several of them since. Right. So what what are you doing today? What are you thinking today? What how are I'm you doing? Pretty pissed off. I'm pretty pissed off. I'm pretty down. I gotta say because of the state that we're in. This is 14 years later. We're waiting 14 years for our government to take out this enemy, and they refuse to. From Bush to Obama to the House to the Senate to the everyone involved, they're not allowing our soldiers to do their job. 
they're committed to not destroying the enemy. Right. As if it's a religion. As if as if it's a religion to them. As in, we must not destroy the enemy who's trying to destroy us. And yeah, I every year I get increasingly pissed off because it, we could wipe them out in short time. We could wipe them out. Well, I, th- I think what Obama is what Obama's trying to do what Obama's trying to do with this deal is he's trying to ensure that we can't wipe them out. Absolutely right. No doubt about right. it. Obama wants to create a world where, again, we were talking about last week, where we are insecure about our place in the world, about our safety, about our our optimism, about our sense of life. He wants to right. wipe it out. He wants to get make it. He wants to make an even playing field with evil and good. Evil to be as powerful as good in in terms of destructive ability. That's what he wants. That's and, you know you know someone said you know people say why would he get in bed with these scumbags? He's a scumbag. That's why. They're evil scumbags. He's an evil scumbag. That's it. That's why he can get in bed with them easily. He has no right. problem doing it. No other American president would have done this. We've had cowards and weaklings for decades, but no American president would have done this. He is doing this because he's absolutely evil. That's the reason why anyone who wants to think why would do this. Of course, that's why. Yeah, I mean, with the way we can just... look at it, the way we can look at it, you know, and again, I I love that cartoon that you've done about Iran. Um, people yeah. who haven't seen it, all you all you have to do is go to Google or whatever your search engine is, and Google the, the name Bosch Faustin F A W S T I N, and then the words I space ran. And you will find what I think is probably Bosch your best political cartoon ever. So, so in that in that cartoon, what you're showing in effect is that we've got decades of bipartisan bipartisan appeasement of Iran, but now Obama has outdone all of the others because he has gone beyond appeasement to direct support and sanction and financing terrorism. This has to be said. Oh, Barack Obama is evil. He, it has to be said. And a lot of people don't say it. Mark Levin, the old day, I listened to some shows. He said he's a nihilist. And I've been saying that. He has not been saying that. Leonard Peikoff, yeah. Leonard Peikoff Obama, 2010, at Ocon, said this guy is a nihilist, egalitarian. That's what he is. He is evil. There's no question about it. Everything, every movie makes, whatever, you know, all his moves make sense when you come to a conclusion. Say, oh, because it's evil. Because otherwise, it's a mystery. Why would an American president? Why would an American president? Why would a guy who hates a country, who hates America, become its president to destroy it fundamentally, right. to unmake it? That's why, and that's evil. It has to be said again and again. And uh, I just have a cartoon so, with Barack Obama's face and evil. By the way, yeah. one one of my cartoons made it at the uh, Iran anti anti Iran event. Well, uh, it was the Obama liar cartoon. Pretty cool. Someone actually gave me a heads up on that. Definitely. But, uh, definitely. And this, this, Iran, this issue, Iran deal is probably going to be worse for us than Obamacare even, or you yes, think it's... Yes. Uh, yes, because this is just... Uh, it, I mean, both of them. That'll be his legacy, right? You know, get our health. You know, if you don't have your health, you have nothing. Well, he has our health now. And I now mean, we also have this, this idea where we might be nuked at any moment. That is a right. very... Un-American way to live. One thing that I saw being circulated around on Facebook today was an old flyer from 1951 telling people how to survive yes. a nuclear blast. Yes. 
and the idea right. that we're going to be circulating this around again now. I mean, that, that, you know, all, it, yeah. all, you know, most of us, most of us are fairly early in our lives. I mean, it all depends on, on those of you who are listening when you were born, but you had this idea that, oh yeah, the, 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 the tense daily idea that we might be hit with a nuclear weapon at any moment. That was for the 1950s. That's not where we are, but now this is yeah. going to be, where we are as well, that we have to start thinking well, been, about how to survive well, been, in nuclear Also this, Barack Obama only has, what, a year left, so he figured these dumb Iranians have tried 30-plus years to get nukes. They can't do it. They can't do it on their own. Do you know what I'm saying? They need some help. Yep. So I can help them before I leave. That's, that's the point here, because they're so incompetent. We've had nukes in this world for decades and decades and decades. These apes in Iran can't seem to put it together. They can't seem to do it, no matter what kind of help they get. Mm-hmm. So Barack Obama's there saying, you know what, before I leave, you, you'll have your nukes. Whereas a true American president would say, you want nukes, Iran? You'll get one. A live right. one. Now anyway, so yeah, only- I am pissed off today, and I can't even pretend I'm not. No, at the I state understand. of the world today, at the, at the state of the West, at the state of, the, of what is supposed to pass for good in this world. There's supposed to be a good force here, a force for good. America, and we are here helping evil. Yep. Now I want to I want to clarify I want to I want to clarify one thing that has come across, uh, you know, with people on social media this week. I understand that you were accused of, or not even accused. I guess people mistook you and thought that you were in favor of like killing all Muslims or something, and that some people found that when no, you one, weren't. In, you weren't in favor of this. They got really mad yeah. because some people there yeah. are in favor of. What What is your position on the proper treatment of Muslims? Look, the ones in the West, in particular, are relatively civilized. Uh, I, as long as they do not <laughs> hurt anyone, we can live and let live. That's up to them. If they want to hurt us, then we have to do something about them. But to think that all Muslims are evil and have to be exterminated, as one actually calls for. A post-Garland, you know, friend, call for the extermination of all Muslims. That is absolutely evil. It's sick, especially the ones in America. And then there are people who say, put, you know, send them back. Even ones who were born and raised here, send, send them back where? But, yeah, right. so then when, when I put out, the, out there, if you call for the extermination of all Muslims, you better unfriend me now because I will unfriend you. I will block you. That's it. You're evil. Right. And then one guy comes up and says, hey, you know, are you saying it's meaning – that person is some semi-defending that. Who will, he, will, he will come explicitly out and say it. I, I am for the extermination of all Muslims, but he'll, he'll say, hey, so what are you saying here? Are you saying that you know, Muslims aren't uh, Islam's evil? Right? Yes, Islam's evil. Islam and its most consistent practitioners are absolutely evil. Most Muslims do not follow Islam. They don't know Islam. They don't read the Quran. They, in their silence, that's what pisses me off about them, because they should know their religion, they, but they don't. So and they sense, are they are they are implicitly accepting this mindset that on the basis of faith, which means on the basis of no yeah. evidence, they, they want Islam's to good. force other people to behave as they wish. Yes, and also a lot of these uh, you know passive Muslims, they they have faith that Islam is good. That's evil also because the fact is Islam is evil, yeah. and they have faith that it's good based on what yeah. nothing. They don't read the Quran. They don't know the religion. Also now, now I think I think I think I actually faith. misspoke. I think I actually misspoke, right? So what Ankar said is obviously the quote extremists in the religion 
are the ones who believe that they should go ahead and use force on the basis of their faith. The ones who call themselves the moderates, or, they, they well, the will, they'll deny that they want to use violence, but they don't have any good argument as to no. why extremism in the faith-based approach is bad. Why no, is it that they, also, why, why do they draw the line at a certain point? There is yeah, no rational also, argument for that. Also, when, they're, when their hero, when their prophet was a butcher, what does it say about them? They look up to a guy who's a butcher. Well, right, and, the, and that's, that's why you say, okay, you know, Christianity is better to a large extent than Islam. Why? Because at least the prophet wasn't this, right? Yeah. But, well, but no, nonetheless, so nonetheless it is, it is this, it's, the same, it's the same basic approach. And I would no more say, you know, let's throw out, kick out all Muslims than I would say, you know, let's no. kick out Christians or something. I mean, that, that's crazy. I mean, um, I mean, the fact is this. When, when they we we atheists are in the minority Muslims, anyway. Hmm? Yeah, when, they call the, when, when these people call for the extermination of all Muslims, they are calling for the extermination of me, someone that they allegedly have admired. Me, before I left Islam, they, they would have killed me as a kid, as a right. teenager. They would have had no function about it. That's evil. I mean, there are people who can leave Islam and think. I, I left Islam when I started thinking, when I started thinking about morality. That's when I left Islam. I said, this is, this now, is nothing. I've, I've, got, I've got only one, about one a minute. Thing. Um, one last thing. I, 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 okay, go ahead. One, one tweet. I said, those saying that Islam is not a religion, that 9-11 was only an act of war, not an act of faith, why would Muslims fly planes into buildings? Why the hell would they do that if it was some secular power, power trip? It's not. Exactly. It's about faith. They believe that they were going into paradise. That's it. Selfishness That's is it. how are Muslims going to be atheists if they're dead. Um, so I, I wanted to just let people know, and you have been conducting this avid, no-budget advertising campaign for the yeah. infidel number three. The infidel number three is coming out on September 23rd, and they can learn more about that by going to your blog. I've actually got a link over to you. your 9-11 post for today. It's Avenging 9-11 Through My Art, so people can check that out there. Of course, I'm urging people to also go to my blog at don'tletitgo.com. Look at all of the program notes that I have for today. I also have a story about France. France is attempting to win back Jewish citizens who fled to Israel. Of course, France is not protecting Jews enough now. So check that out. Uh, watch the Kim Davis it, video. One, on one last thing. If you want to see 9-11 Avenge, yeah, mm-hmm. Avenge, get the Infidel one. Big man takes out Al-Qaeda. Check it out. Definitely. Thanks, Bosch. Right, thanks, thanks, everyone. Thanks. And we'll talk to everyone next week.